This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart or mind, anything at all. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Now, yesterday we had no calls, had lots of questions came, but we had no calls, and we would love your calls because you're more interesting than I am. Let's get right to it. Here's a question that I knew I was going to get at some point. I was hoping it wouldn't be this soon. It's from our mobile app. And it is anonymous. Um, With the new mask mandate starting this week, will you still require masks and social distancing? Uh, In the spirit of full disclosure, we have a very, very small building. Um, Lots of people in a small building. And we haven't been able to do uh, social distancing. And our people have been worried. We have not had a, a, a case of COVID in a very, very long time. Uh, we had a, an outbreak of COVID. You may remember uh, back in June, we had more than 50 people get it. And I honestly think, Anonymous, that it sort of helped us with a herd immunity of sorts because we've had no outbreaks at all and we've been unable to do social distancing. We have uh, been requiring masks uh, in the sanctuary. Uh, and uh, we did that in compliance with the governor's mandate. And now, because the governor has removed the mask mandate, we will no longer be requiring masks uh, in the sanctuary. So um, it's always tough. doesn't matter what decision you make on, a, on an issue like this. Uh, you're going to make somebody mad. Um, it's an amazing thing. You know, we have, if, if we asked, if we just took a vote, we have way more people that are glad to get rid of the masks than those who want to wear them. And what we've done is we've simply said masking now is a, a personal choice. And if you choose to wear a mask, it doesn't mean that you have no faith. It doesn't mean that anybody's going to judge you. Uh, opinions mean nothing. Um, it's your decision. And we want everybody to be free to make the decision. And that's what the governor has done. He's he's given us the freedom to make the choice individually. And that choice still is, um, is yours to make uh, for those of you who come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, I know there are people that feel passionately about this on both sides. And what I told our church on Sunday was um, it doesn't matter what your opinion is any longer. The only thing that matters is doing what God tells you to do. I told the church I expect them to be loving. I expect them to be generous of spirit and kind and Christ-like in dealing with people whose opinions are different. I realize how difficult that is in our polarized world that we live in, but it ought not to be that way for Christians. 
So we will no longer be requiring masks starting tomorrow here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Jackie writes in and she says, Please help me understand why Jesus had to die. It seems he could have accomplished so much more by living. Jackie, um, from, from the Old Testament through the end of the New Testament, Revelation 22, 21, um, the idea is that with without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That life is in the blood. It's Jesus' blood that gives us life. And so Jesus, Jackie, and I hope you can understand this, Jesus didn't come to live. Jesus didn't come here to teach good things, although he did good things. Jesus didn't come here to be happy, although uh, because he always did the will of his Father, he was happy. Jesus didn't come here to have a successful career. Jesus came for one reason, and that's to die. Now, Jackie, think about this for a moment. Um, Jesus, when he was born, a baby, and I'm sure a cute baby like all babies are, from the moment he took his first breath, he began to die. He began a course that would end with him on the cross at Calvary. And that's because if he didn't die, it took a sinless sacrifice, a perfect human being, to die for the sins of those of us who are imperfect, and that's all of us. And John 3.16, probably the most famous Bible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. I always stop there for the emphasis, Jackie, that he gave. He gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, if he stayed alive, we would all be lost in our sin. It's also, Jackie, not true that Jesus would have accomplished so much more by living. You know, good examples don't save us. Good examples don't save us. Um, A man that does miracles doesn't save us. A perfect man had to die for the sins of mankind. And Jesus did that. When Jesus died, he had roughly 120 followers. 120. Shortly after dying and being raised from the dead, on the very first day, 3,000 men got saved, the first day of the church. A couple of days later, another 5,000 men. That doesn't count women and children. And they got saved. Jesus' death and resurrection has had a greater impact in this world than anyone, any group of people have ever had on this world. So he came to do exactly the will of his Father. And the will of his Father, uh, I'm going to personalize this for you, Jackie. His Father said, Jesus, I love Jackie so much that you've got to die so that she can live. And that's why there had to be a death. Now, you are either a brand new believer or not yet a believer, but I really want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus chose you. The Bible says for the joy set before him, he endured the agony of the cross. Jackie, you were that joy. He was beaten mercilessly. He gave his spirit thinking of you. And that's love. That's what love is all about and he loves you. So that's why he had to die. But the best thing for you to do, Jackie, is to personalize it. He died for you. Here is an anonymous question. How can we submit to government and stand for Christ when it comes to laws regarding transgender people? Um, Anonymous, you don't have to agree with the laws. Uh, I I think... um, and when I speak generally for a whole group of people, there's always a danger in that anonymous. But but it, it's safe to say, or at least it ought to be safe to say, that no real Christian wants anybody in this world not to have rights. Um, if somebody is gay or if somebody's transgender, 
they ought to have the same rights that everybody else has. Except when those rights conflict with an institution established by God. For example, um, gay marriage is not sanctioned by God. The law says, and, and see, we honor gay marriage. And I say honor that by, by nobody now acknowledges that, that gay marriages are no longer legally valid. Certainly not in the will of God, but, but they have exercised that right. Transgender people have the right to decide how they're going to live their lives. And the people who fall into those categories have the right to work. They have the right to live in a place. When we stand for Jesus when it comes to this issue, what we want is simply not to have our rights taken away, to say, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Word of God, and thus we can't participate nor approve of what the Bible calls sin. We're the ones that are being denied our rights. So I think the way we can submit to government is simply to acknowledge that that uh, gay and transgender people, and you didn't ask about gay, but, but, but LGBTQ people are people that God loves. And we should love them too. But we love them by telling them the truth about what they're doing and then telling them that Jesus Christ will deliver them from their sin. What we cannot do is approve or affirm and we need the right to believe what the world has believed since Christ died and was risen again for 2,000 years that it's wrong for a man to dress as a woman or a woman to dress as a man or to reject your scientific, your biologically based, based gender. And we need to be able to say, okay, anonymous as a church... You know, things are getting pretty scary. Um, there's an Equality Act going through uh, the Senate and Congress right now. And um, it could result in laws being enacted to force churches to employ people who are living in willful rebellion against God. And so if that time were to come, we would love people. We would tell them the truth in love. But we couldn't partner. I, I, for example, couldn't hire anybody here who's openly gay or transgender. And hopefully I won't hire anybody anyway that we don't know really, really well. But the idea is is we're, we're, we're sort of on a mission from God. I didn't mean to sound like a bad section of the Blues Brothers there. But we really have a mission given to us by God. And we've got to do it on his terms and his way. And if somebody comes along and says, in order to stay out of jail, you've got to hire these people. Or in order to be free from legal action, you've got to hire these people. Then we'll have to accept the consequences. And that's, that's standing for Jesus Christ. He never said that we would be uh, free from consequences. He said, you're blessed, Jesus did, when people persecute you, persecute you on his account. He didn't say we'd feel blessed. He said we would be blessed. And there's been a lot of Christians over 2,000 years who have died painful, torturous deaths because they stood for Jesus Christ in violation of the government. So that's. I hope that's what you mean. Uh, what we can't do is approve nor affirm uh, at the same time. Um, you know, it's our mission to love them. We want them to have rights. As offensive as it is sometimes to us, uh, the truth is we live in a country that is not Christian. And in this country, Christians and non-Christians have the same rights. Now we're starting to see the tide turned and our rights are the ones that are being stripped. Rodney asks, Pastor Ron, what exactly does there is no fear in love mean? First uh, John chapter 4, Rodney, says this. In this way, love is made complete among us 
so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, or a better translation says judgment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I think sometimes, Rodney, we misunderstand that, and and that, that verse really gets abused. We say there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. The context there is in judgment. And and as a believer, Rodney, you and and I, we have no fear of being judged because Jesus has been judged for us. And the way this this verse is misused and it's caused a lot of pain in people, it's like, well, if I was really Christian, I wouldn't be afraid. Um, Rodney, I'm afraid all the time. I am afraid all the time. But I don't let fear keep me from serving God. I don't let fear paralyze me. I don't let fear keep me from from saying yes to whatever it is that God's asked me to do. But but it would be dishonest to say that I'm not fearful because I am. Walking by faith sometimes is terrifying. Walking by faith doesn't make sense most of the time. And it is a fearful thing, but we keep on doing it because Jesus is with us. And so to to think, well, well, if I if I was really loved, if I if I I I wasn't um, if I had faith, I wouldn't be afraid. That's simply not true. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Speaks only, Rodney, about judgment. And no Christian should be fearful of being judged because our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Hope that makes sense. One of the things there's these, these verses that we use. I call them refrigerator verses. You know, got the little magnets. We always need to look at the context of those. Here's another one. Uh, Alma asks, um, "Can you explain Philippians two twelve and tell me how to apply it?" Let me read it to everybody. I had a question about this yesterday. I think. Uh, Alma, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what it means, it's not working for our salvation, Alma. We can't work for our salvation. It is a free gift. Um, By grace, through faith, uh, it is a gift that's given to us by the Lord. But we work out our salvation. And when I had a question, it was slightly different yesterday, um, uh, the tone of the question. But but I said, this is the process of sanctification. And that's what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. Um, Paul commends them. They've always obeyed when he was there. But then he says, now in my absence, you're such a blessing. And then he exhorts them to continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And I think the fear and trembling is what causes people to stumble a little bit. But but the fear is really a fear of not being where God wants you to be. It's a fear of, of uh, doing things your way instead of doing things his way. And and I tell you, I am fearful, uh, Alma, of of stepping outside of God's will. Better men, more gifted men than I, have fallen miserably and publicly. And I want to guard that good deposit that was given to me. And so I, every day, the purpose of my life is to honor Jesus. When I say, and Alma, if you've been listening to this program for any length of time at all, uh, I say all the time, just be with Jesus. You see, when we're with Jesus, we are working out our salvation um, because we're with him. And we're becoming more like him. And he's leading us and guiding us. We're, we're taking orders. We're being obedient. And the fear and trembling part then doesn't exist. When we should be fearful and tremble is when we're doing things on our own terms, our way. Um, one of the things that, that, that as believers we always have to remember is that doing what God wants you to do isn't enough. You've got to do it his way. You've got to do it on his terms. Jesus meets us where we are, the way we are. But the minute Jesus comes into your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit, 
He begins the process of changing you. Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12 that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transformed is is uh, the, the word metamorpho. It, it it describes sort of the the process of a a caterpillar to a to a, a, a butterfly. And so um, when we are being transformed, we're throwing away the old us and all of the old things that used to cause us to stumble, and we're embracing the new stuff. And we need truly to be fearful and tremble about those times when we're tempted to go back and pick up the old junk again. So Alma, I hope that makes sense to you. I appreciate the question very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Rose. Um, Why do Christians have to suffer so much? Um, Rose, it is sort of a fallacy. Uh, And I think when we first get saved, most of us have this thought, okay, my life is going to be really good now that I've found Jesus. We have this emotional experience. Um, but, but, But that's not biblical. That doesn't describe the the life of a Christian. Christians suffer just like unbelievers suffer. And sometimes we suffer because we're Christians. Now there's a couple dynamics. One is spiritual and then one is in the world and even that is spiritual behind the scenes. I'll explain in a moment. But but the spiritual uh, issue to, to suffering is simply this. Um, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you make an enemy. The devil who owned you before, even though you probably didn't think you were controlled by the devil you were, uh, he gets really angry because he lost you. Satan knows he's going to be judged by human beings. And and think about this. There'll be this one less human who's going to stand in judgment of me. And then when when he loses you, he's angry. And so he begins attacking. He begins tempting. He he, he and his evil forces sort of marshal up all of their strength to try to, 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 to ruin what God wants to do. I've always said that the two groups of people that Satan goes after the most ferociously are really committed and submitted Christians. That's on one side. And then on the other side is brand new Christians. The devil, has he not? He's always been trying to kill babies. When Jesus was born, the devil through Herod had all the male babies two years old and younger killed. In Egypt, because Israel was growing, the population was exploding. Pharaoh, it was Satan through Pharaoh. He gave an order to kill all the male babies. So he's always been trying to kill babies. That's one reason we suffer. It's spiritual. But another reason we suffer is because we're suddenly against the things that the world embraces. We don't understand the world and the world doesn't understand us. That's the way it's always been and always will be. But we suffer because we live in this fallen world. We get sick just like unbelievers do. We have people that break our heart, just like unbelievers do. I might recommend Psalm 73 to you, Rose. If, you're, if you like the Psalms, um, it's the story of a guy who who uh, says, Surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity, when I envied the prosperity of the wicked. What he's saying is it looks like the, the people in this world who don't want anything to do with God, everything's going well for them. It's not going well for them. But remember, part of the process, God goes through us with suffering. Part of that process, Rose, is is making us, just like Jesus, we're sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's really, really important. And if God didn't spare his own son from suffering, in fact, in the Old Testament especially, 
through the suffering servant passages of Isaiah. All of that was predicted. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. If God didn't spare his son, why do we think that God should spare us? Sometimes it's in the suffering where God does his best work in us and prepares us for the things that lie ahead. So, Rose, don't think even for a moment that Christians should be immune from suffering. This whole world is suffering. Even creation, Paul says, is groaning in suffering. So I hope that makes sense to you. Hey, 30 minutes left in the program. We love your live calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program the 30 minute program i said 30 but my producer came out like i said three that would be a really fast program we'd love your live calls and questions and 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 please, if you call, I've got one, two, three, four. The fourth question that I've got coming up is one I really don't want to answer today. So if, uh, if we'd love your phone calls. Here is the question. First question today, this half from Miguel. He says, reaping and sowing, does it mean if I give money to the church, God will give me more money back. Um, Miguel, you're listening to people that are really, really false teachers, bad teachers. It doesn't mean that. Now, I I don't want to confuse you, but the the laws of reaping and sowing, um, my my grandmother used to say this. She said, you know, Ronnie, you only get out of something what you put into something. Well, it's way more than that with the Lord. What you reap, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, uh, how you use your energy, giving it to God, and you can't outgive God, so God is going to give you more back. So I'm going to reap and I'm going to sow. It's a spiritual principle that cannot be denied. And, and in fact, God tells us to test him on this. And that's in the Old Testament. And he's talking about, uh, about offerings in terms of, of uh, ties under the law. Uh, the problem is that false teachers in our culture have abused that verse, uh, give me 10 and God will give you 100 kind of thing. And that's not at all what it means. If you give your money to God, in fact, let me rephrase, if you give anything to God, and the reason you do it is you expect to get something back from God, you don't understand God at all. We don't give something to God to get something back from God. We give something to God because God first gave everything to us. He gave everything to us. So, Miguel, if I I tell our church here all the time, motive is everything. You see, we can do all these things and we can look really spiritual and we can pretend we have great faith. But if all we're doing is giving God money to get more money back from God... Do you think we can fool God about that? God won't be mocked. So no, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is we give everything to the Lord and we do it with the right motive for the right reasons and the end result is going to be that God can be a debtor to no man or woman and he will bless us beyond our ability to understand. That's what that means. But remember, motive is everything. Let's go to a phone call, the first one in a day and a half. Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Cindy. Thank you. Well, you know, I've been watching, there's that program, The Chosen, and I found it, I think it's really interesting. I've watched two episodes so far, and the one last night really struck me in that um, it, it kind of showed Jesus being a person, just being a regular person. They were at a wedding, and it was when he turned the water into wine, mm-hmm. but uh, but it was so interesting because they showed everybody dancing around, you know, in, in their arms linked together, and they were dancing around in circles and singing, and Jesus was with them doing that. And it kind of, you kind of think, you kind of forget the fact that Jesus was kind of a person. He, he did things. He probably laughed. He probably had a sense of humor, and he did things like that. You know, the, the, um, you know, the movie King of Kings kind of shows Jesus hanging out on a rock and teaching everybody and hanging <laughs> on the side of the hill, you know, teaching everybody and just kind of strolling along. But I think it must have been really different. I, I think he, he just, you know, things that normal people do. Yeah, Cindy, he was. I, I think, in fact, the best thing I like about The, the Chosen, I've only seen season one. Um, I, I won't pay for it, so uh, I think it's now showing on TBN. Uh, but I've only seen season one. And the thing I liked about it is is um, um, sort of the personalities that they're they're giving to everybody. I think it's very authentically Jewish, uh, which which it really needed to be. Um, uh, I, I I've enjoyed the first season. I think one of the problems that people have with it is that we expect it to be completely biblical, but remember it is a dramatic representation. Uh, and I think. I think it's done pretty well, but they take some liberties. Um, uh, for example, Matthew is is seen on the autism spectrum, and and I think that's not necessary. It certainly wouldn't have been the case, but but he's seen on the autism spectrum, and he's and he shows a really strange uh, strange character. Uh, Peter is is portrayed as uh, having a gambling problem. And Jesus sort of bails him out of the gambling problem with the the huge catch of fish, and so those things are not necessary. But but again, they're not. They shouldn't stumble anybody uh, because they're they're just dramatic interpretations. With regard to Jesus, there's no doubt you can't read the Sermon on the Mount um, without understanding that Jesus had a sense of humor. Uh, it, it wasn't a lecture. Um, Jesus had personality, and Jesus had style. Uh, all of those things. So I agree with you. I I would have no problem recommending um, the, to to anyone to watch the chosen. Just remember that you're watching a dramatic representation uh, rather than it's not Bible. A few years ago, there was a word for word dvr or or maybe it's vcr that's how long ago it was but but from the gospel of luke and jesus was portrayed there as having a sense of humor and uh interacting um with with his his disciples and i thought it was really really good the the guy that's playing jesus in the chosen uh has done a, a really really good job so yeah cindy that's that's who he was thank you very much Interesting is at the end of the program, there's another 30 minute, and a rabbi is explaining all of the uh, Jewishness of, of the things that are going on, and I found that very informative. But I haven't seen the first the first series. I just caught wind of it recently of of, you know, of the program. But anyways, yeah. I just found it very mm-hmm. interesting, and yep. yeah, I agree with you. You can't take it, you know, to heart with you know some of some of the. Uh, acting things and things, you know, storytelling things that they say. Maybe they say it because it touches one person, you know, life or whatever. But I think that basically I'm kind of glad that somebody's gone out there and um, and is doing something outside of Hollywood. So anyway, yep. thank you. Bye. My pleasure. Thank you, Cindy. You know, for everybody, uh, you know, I keep I keep trying to communicate this to people and, and without much success, but uh, we we can't appreciate the Gospels um, if we forget the Jewishness of Jesus's mission. And uh, I don't know the rabbi that Cindy is referring to. I, I hope he's messianic. Um, but um, just for, just for this audience, 
uh, I can't recommend highly enough. There is a, a book that is called The Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim. And no one should ever read or, uh, or, or let me change it. No one should ever try to study deeply or teach the gospel accounts without the life and times of the Messiah um, right next to him. Because, it, it, again, to, to miss the Jewishness of the Gospels is to miss the whole point of Jesus' mission here on earth. Cindy, thank you very, very much. Dina says, I don't understand why everyone who calls Jesus Lord will not be saved. Um, Dina, a couple of things. Um, when Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, um, um, he, he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Um it's not just because they call him. Salvation is believing. When you meet Jesus, you have to change. Meeting him, the very act of really, truly meeting him, changes people. And Jesus knows who's really his and who is just pretending to be his. Now, you can look around in the church, Dina, and you see all kinds of people. Now, we can't tell who's who. So this isn't a go judge people type of comment. But but we see all kinds of people, some who are completely committed to serving Jesus and others who you look at their life and you'd wonder, where did you ever even hear the name Jesus? Um, Jesus knows those who are his. We don't. And what Jesus is doing, you know, he's talking to the religious leaders there. I think sometimes we lose that in interpreting this passage as well. But the reality is, the principle is still true. There's a whole bunch of people who think they're saved who really aren't. So it's not enough just to call Jesus Lord. You've got to really believe it, and if you believe it, it changes you. Paul says, if you call on the name, you'll be saved, but you have to believe it in your heart. And that's the difference. I, I often refer to the, the distance between the brain and the heart as the longest 14 inches in the world. Because it's a long trip. I can believe something intellectually, but unless it gets down to my heart and changes me, then I don't really believe it at all. So I can say it. And from the very beginning, people have been saying they belong to Jesus. But they really don't. Judas said he belonged to Jesus. He looked like the real deal disciple. But he never really surrendered his heart at all. Jesus said he was a son of perdition, doomed for destruction from before the beginning of time. So what what this says, Dina, is that only true believers are going to be in heaven. We don't get saved by saying something. We don't get saved by going to church. We get saved by meeting the person of Jesus Christ most important thing that can happen to any anybody in the world is to have that meeting with Jesus. When I give invitations, Dina, I'll often say, if you're here today and you're not a born-again believer, I would love to introduce you to my Jesus. Because I know if they meet him, they'll be changed by him. Thank you, Dina. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Rachel. So you in the audience, I'm only one question away from the question I don't want to answer. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Rachel says, what is an overseer in the church and can women be overseers? Um, Rachel, um, whether you're talking about old elders in the church, in the Bible, or overseers, and the, the terms are interchangeable, these are the men, and I'm going to emphasize, these are the men that have been given the responsibility by God to lead his church. Now, in the first century, this term, whether it's elder or overseer, would refer to the man that we call pastor in the church. So, leaders in churches must be men, the husband of one wife. So an overseer in church is the pastor. Now, uh, because of laws, Rachel, um, church government has changed throughout the centuries. In our country, um, we need, if we're going to incorporate, we need to to have a, a board of directors or a board of elders. 
Uh, and, and while they're not the pastor, they are in leadership and serve in a leadership capacity in the church. And they too must be males. Now, I know people don't like this. But the argument's not with Pastor Ron. The argument's with Jesus. It's his church. He's the head. And he said, going all the way back to Genesis to establish the precedent, that these overseers or elders or pastors must be men. It's a result of the fall. It doesn't mean that men are more spiritual or men are more capable. Uh, It doesn't mean that women are not capable. What it means is that Jesus said, okay, here are the rules to come into my house. And that's one of the rules. That's the only position that women are prohibited from in the church of Jesus Christ. The only one. And women cannot be overseers. So I hope that answers your question. Okay. Didn't call, so here's the question. It is anonymous. You are a white pastor. Do you feel that any who come to your church who are not white are missing out on the whole of truth? I'm not exactly sure, Anonymous, um, what you're asking me. Are you asking me because I'm white? Do I not proclaim the truth? Are you suggesting that for uh, blacks and Hispanics and Asians um, uh, and or Native Americans who might come to our church, that they're not able to understand the teaching of the Bible? It's hard for me to understand how this whole idea has sort of engulfed so many in the church. Uh, I'm a white pastor. I'm who God made me to be. I'm not sorry for being a white pastor. Uh, I'm married to a beautiful black woman. We've been together for 51 years, almost 51 years. Um, I'm, I'm not... That doesn't make me an expert in all things black. But the audience is absolutely without color. The people that come to Calvary Chapel, everybody gets the same message. Everybody gets exactly the same message. And when the church starts suggesting, now I'm talking about the professing church, when we start suggesting that if you are a white pastor, you cannot relate to black, brown Asians or Native American people, then you're discounting the whole work of God. Anonymous, I I always get a laugh out of this when I say it at the church, but, you know, God chose me knowing I was white, and I'm pretty white, knowing that I was married to a black woman, He sent us to a city that is more than 60% Hispanic. Either he had a reason or he just forgot. God's looking for faithful people. And I want to say this as strongly as I possibly can. God simply doesn't see color. And as Christians, we can't see color either. Now, I love the fact that I can look out and, and, and look in the church and see the diversity in our body. Our church is a really good picture of the city that we live in. And I love that. I love the fact that we have old people and young people. We have wealthy people and we have poor people. I love the fact that, that people come from all kinds of different backgrounds That's the teaching of the Word and and the Spirit of God drawing people. But I was made white by God. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, indicates that we are who we are and we're where we are at the time we are by the direct design of God. And so to, to, to do anything at all that would suggest that we're going to change that model Makes no sense at all. By the way, 
when it comes time for me to step down, uh, the new pastor at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is going to be Filipino. God chose him. You know, that's the one thing that happened here. We had one Filipino show up, and then all of a sudden, we can't keep him away. God just likes doing stuff like that. And I think he does it sometimes for effect. So if that's not the gist of your question, I don't know what else to do. Uh, My elders, um, um, my my, my pastoral staff and my elders, I've got three pastors of Asian descent, uh, one Hispanic pastor, Two white pastors uh, of my elders. I got one white elder, two Hispanic elders, and two black elders. And I didn't choose any of them. God chose them all. God chose them all. So I hope that makes sense to you. But church, please, Christians, please, stop with the races, race stuff. It simply doesn't matter to God. You're saved or you're unsaved. You're a child of God or you're not. That's all that matters. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, if you'd called earlier, I wouldn't have had to answer that question. I, actually, I tried to get back to my car in time to save you from the fourth question. <laughs> I didn't make it. And then, and then I learned something about you that I didn't know. Pastor, I didn't know you were white. You're a white pastor. <laughs> Yeah. All this time. I can't do anything about it. No, you can't. I mean, you did as much about it as you could. You did great. Mama Paula, I mean, what what else can you do? You got the best of both worlds, brother. You got the best (laughs) of one world, and it's on the other side. Thank you, Jeff. What's up? So my wife and I just came back from Mexico this morning. We had finally got down there. Uh, you know, it's been several months, and we usually get down there once every few weeks. So, you know, our house and everything's just been growing with donations and sorting and everything. And we were able to get like two truckloads of supplies over Good. yesterday, get them dispersed to about ten people, ten families. So that's that's a that's a mini joy of Jesus, you know, um, not a full praise the Lord, joy of Jesus, but amen, and. Um, um, and I was uh, – one of the things that happened was we did an impromptu marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was – we spent an hour with the husband and then spent an hour with, with the wife and prayed for them both. And and the thing that, that really kind of blew my mind was that it's a couple that's been married for like 30 years and they're leaders in the church. And um, they were – sort of our marriage counselors when, when we were planning to get married and we've been very mm. close friends with them. So for them to come to us uh, with, a, with a problem that just goes, you know, probably years back that they just haven't even addressed. And then there's an adult child, daughter, that made a bad decision in the marriage and, you know, has a baby. And so that's caused all kinds of stress on their relationship, too, because they're dealing with that. You know, it's like sometimes our flesh gets so, just starts screaming so loudly that we can't hear anything else. Yeah. And and I wonder if you would, would talk about that, because it's like we, what we shared with them were the kind of things that they told us. Yeah. Remember when we, you know, <laughs> and remember when you said be 100, 100% responsible for, for the condition of your relationship and... Remember how much we prayed together? How come you guys haven't prayed together over this? And why are you just letting you know this take off? Uh, but anyway, so I, I wanted to share that with you, and since you would just talk about, yeah, I can, Jeff. We're 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 just a little over two minutes left, so okay. let me do so that. Thank, thank you, thank you very very much. You know, um, Jeff, Jeff said uh, our flesh screams so loud. Let me say this every time. We're not with Jesus. Our flesh is going to scream so loud that we're not going to be able to hear anything else. And our flesh is as an insatiable appetite. So when we start giving into our flesh, it craves more. It's like the cookie monster in Sesame Street. You know, just wants more and more and more and more. And that's why we got to be with Jesus. 
And that's the only answer to your point, Jeff, about sharing with them some of the same things they shared with you. I can't tell you how many times over the years when I've had somebody do a, a devotion, a mentor treat, or um, um, some of the ladies who've done uh, sweet summer devotions here at the church, and then they life kind of falls apart and they, they get lost. In the, and, and I've actually sent them their own devotions. I'll just do it in an email, just say, you know, um, there's a lot of wisdom here from somebody who really loved Jesus. You might listen to it, and then then they turn on, and they're going to be listening to themselves. We forget. Our flesh makes us forget the things of God because our flesh hates the things of God. It's that simple. It doesn't matter how long you've been with Jesus. Your flesh always hates the things of God. To deny your flesh is unthinkable to your flesh. So it's it's easy to start drifting. And once you start drifting, the whole book of Hebrews, there's seven warnings. And those warnings start with drifting away and they end up with apostasy. So that's exactly what happens when we are not with Jesus. We've got to get to the point where we realize that every time that we separate from Jesus, just a little bit of distance, we're going to mess up. We're going to mess up really bad. And then it's going to snowball on us. Jeff, I appreciate the call. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word, 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.